So if you would, open with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. I can't remember if I introduced myself. My name is Matt Bell. If you're new here today, thank you for being here. I'm the pastor here at Destiny, and we're so blessed by God that thank you, all three of you, this morning. God, look, look, look. Look, from, from here on out, when I introduce myself, we don't have to clap anymore, all right? Like, I'm cool with it. We can just move right on. Don't need the clap, all right? So anyway, I'm the pastor, and, and we're just so glad that, that you're here uh, this morning, and, and we love you, and we believe that God's working in your life, and uh, we're just so honored to, to be able to worship together and to spend some time in God's Word together. We're continuing this morning our series called Seek First. Everybody say, Seek First. And so uh, if you would, open your new Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at a passage from Genesis chapter 1 today. A very important passage, a very foundational passage, a very central passage to our faith as Christians. And let me just pray before we start this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. Lord, that you created us in such a way as to be able to have a relationship with you, that we could know you. And you've revealed yourself to us in your word. And so, Lord, as we open your word today, we believe that you are speaking to us. Lord, that you wrote this book so that we could know you, that we could ultimately come to faith in your son, Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for our sins, who rose again to give us new life and life eternal. So, Father, thank you for this time that we have to spend together in your word. I pray that it would be a blessing to everyone who's here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, I want to briefly uh, recap the last couple of weeks, and I want to start by looking at our theme verse, which is from Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 31 through 34. And this is Jesus speaking, Jesus teaching, uh, Jesus uh, speaking what's called the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most famous sermons, and from that passage, there's this excerpt, and I want to read it to you this morning. Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat? I know that sometimes gives families a lot of anxiety after church. Uh, where are we going to go eat today? Jesus says, don't be anxious about that. What shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, now the Gentiles, this is a way of saying, people who are not part of God's covenant family, people who are not part of the kingdom of God, but are part of the kingdom of the world. He says the Gentiles seek after these things. And as we look at the world today, don't we see that that's what the world is searching after? What, what are we going to eat and what are we going to wear and, and, and what, uh, where are we going to live and how much material wealth and possessions can I accumulate? Jesus says, don't worry about those things. He's saying people who don't belong to God, they worry about those things. But because you have a heavenly father, he knows you already need those things. How many of you are glad that God knows what we need? Amen. Before we even come to God in prayer, he knows everything that we need. He even knows things that we need that we don't even know we need. Amen. How many of you are glad that God doesn't always just give you what you want? but that God promises to supply all of our needs, amen. And so Jesus says that, that God knows what you need, your Father in heaven knows what you need before you even ask. But, so he contrasts the way God's people are to live with the way the world lives. He says, but seek first, everybody say seek first. Seek first. 
the kingdom of God. No, no, you just seek verses, okay. (laughs) Otherwise, this is going to be really long if we start doing that. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What a great promise. What a great promise. That if I seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness in my life, I don't have to worry about what I'm going to eat. I don't have to worry about what I'm going to wear. I don't have to worry. I don't have to be anxious about my physical provisions. That if I will seek first the kingdom of God, he promises to take care of everything else. Therefore, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So what we have here in Matthew chapter 6 is Jesus, whom the Bible tells us is the author and giver of life. That Jesus is the creator God of the universe, okay? And this is the author of life, the inventor of life, telling us how to live our lives. Now, I think we should pay attention to that. Do you? The the author and giver of life, the inventor of life, the creator of life itself says this is the best way to live. Seek first the kingdom of God. And as we spend a couple of weeks now in this series, what we've looked at and discovered is that seeking first the kingdom is not a matter of of, uh, chronological sequence. It's not a matter of, okay, I'm going to wake up in the morning and the first 15 minutes I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. Or I'll wake up in the morning and the first hour of my day I'll seek first the kingdom of God. And then the rest of my day, the, the other 23 hours, I'll just seek everything else and live how I want to live. It's not a matter of chronological sequence. What seek first the kingdom of God means is that in every area of my life, I'm seeking to see God's kingdom at work. That's what it means to seek first. It's not a matter of sequence. It's a matter of priority. What what is the, the, the ultimate overriding, overarching theme and desire of our hearts and in our, of our lives? And that should flow into every area of our lives, into our marriages, into our families, into our workplace, into our career. It should govern all of our relationships and interactions in life. That I am seeking first the kingdom of God. And so it's not a matter of chronological sequence. It's a matter of heart priority. What's the most important thing to you in all of your life, in every area of your life? Jesus says it should be the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, I I gave you a definition for the kingdom of God, and we can track the kingdom of God from Genesis to Revelation. But for where we are today, the kingdom of God can be defined as, all right, let's have a little refresher this morning. Three points to the kingdom of God. Number one, God's people. Thank you. And now you know the other two because they're on the screen. God's people. How many of you are one of God's people? How do we become one of God's people? Through faith in Jesus Christ. There's only one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one has a right relationship with God except through 
me. And so we are God's people through faith in Christ. Our sins forgiven, the barrier that separated us and God has been removed, amen? Now we are part of God's chosen people. How many of you got that God chose you, amen? So we belong to God. We are God's people. The second aspect of the kingdom of God is that God's people live in God's presence. And we see how this played out over the Old Covenant and the Old Testament where it culminated in God's presence living in the temple. But all of that was pointed to and towards and foreshadowing the ultimate reality that we have today, which is that God's presence doesn't live in a building, but God's presence lives in a people where the Bible says that now our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And so we are God's people. We are filled with God's Spirit, empowered by His Spirit. How many of you know that the Holy Spirit gives you power? Amen. Now that we have the power of the Holy Spirit and now that we belong to God, we live under God's rule and experience God's Blessing, this is the kingdom of God. God's people, are you one of God's people? Say amen, amen. Are you filled with the spirit of God? Amen. Now we, empowered by God's spirit, we live under God's authority, living under the authority of the king, living under his commandments and experiencing his blessing. Now the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God, the blessings in the kingdom of God, are righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost, love dominating and expressing itself in every area of life. How many of you want some more love in your life? Amen. How many want some more joy and peace and God's righteousness in your life? Amen. The key is to be one of God's people, be filled with God's spirit, live under God's rule and authority and the results of the kingdom Love, joy, peace in the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so we looked at uh, marriages last week. We looked at how God's kingdom is a little bit different than the kingdom of the world. We looked at how when, when we are born and, and living in the cultures of the world, that we are trained in, in not God's kingdom and not God's way of thinking, but the world's way of thinking. And so when we come to God's rule, which is in his word, and we, we study God's commandments, sometimes to us, they seem upside down. They seem backwards. They seem like, man, that, that, that doesn't make sense to my natural mind. But the, the truth is, it's because we as sinful people have been programmed by a sinful culture that when we come to God's word, we think that it is upside down when the truth is that we are the ones who are upside down. It's God's kingdom and his ways and his righteousness that is actually right side up. And so coming and studying God's word, it's opposite from living just what the culture says. It's living according to God's word. And so with regard to marriage, I said that we as Christians, we as God's people, we must throw away the idea of, of what our culture says marriage is. We must throw away the world's idea of marriage because the world views marriage as a what? As a contract, thank you. As a contract between two parties. 
And what we know of contracts is that contracts are temporary. Contracts are written with the idea that one day they will be broken. Contracts are not permanent, they are temporary. And so the world views marriage as a contract between two parties united through the government. That's not God's view of marriage. And so we as God's people, we don't view marriage as a contract, we view marriage as a covenant. All right. And how many parties are involved in a covenant? Three. The husband, the wife, and God united together in a covenant which is not temporary, which is permanent, which lasts uh, till death do us part is God's design for marriage. And that the, 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 the contract is not just between me and my spouse. The contract is the three of us together working on this marriage and promises that we have made together. Marriage is not a two-person contract. Marriage is a three-person covenant, God, husband, and wife. And so we must replace the ideology, the philosophy uh, of the culture that's in our minds with the truth of God's word. We must replace what the world has taught us and the culture has taught us with the truth of God's word. You know, Jesus in John 8, 32, he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now, how many of you know John 8, 31? We know John 8, 32, know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you know the verse that comes right before it? John 8, 31, Jesus says, if you abide in my word, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You see, for us to, to know the truth, we must abide in, live in the word of God, and that is living under God's rule and experiencing his blessing. You see, the truth that you know is the truth that will set you free. And knowing the truth, when the Bible speaks about knowing, it's talking about intimacy, it's not talking about just having concepts in your brain. It's talking about being transformed from the inside out by this truth, embracing this truth, being enveloped in the truth of God's word. Then you will find freedom. There's so many people today who are living out the lies of the culture, especially with regards to relationships and marriage, and what they find themselves in is not freedom. Rather, they find themselves in bondage. And what Satan loves to do is he loves to take what God has created, which is wonderful and beautiful, and he loves to take it and twist it and distort it. And so he will take something like marriage, which is designed by God to bring ultimate freedom in our lives. There should be so much freedom in marriage. And Satan will, will attack it and say, no, no, marriage is a trap. No, no, no. For you to truly be free, no, just go and... Do your own thing. Thank you. Just, just, just express yourself and, and have relationships with everyone. That's true freedom. No, actually, that's bondage. That true freedom is found as we embrace God's truth and we ultimately live the life that God has called us to live. Okay, that's my 20-minute recap. Um, 
Having laid that foundation, let's press a little bit further today into the relationship between a husband and a wife in marriage. And so Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to start in verse 26 again. This is God creating humanity. God says, let us make man, that's mankind, in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth and everything that creeps on the earth. So God created man, that's mankind, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Verse 31 says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. Now, when questioned about marriage, this is what Jesus had to say. Jesus re refers back to this creation account in Genesis 1 and 2. And Jesus says, from the beginning, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. I've got a couple points I wanna share with you this morning as, as we press further into marriage. And it really starts with these ideas from Genesis chapter one and two and what Jesus has to say about marriage. And for us to have a, a marriage that is full of of the kingdom of God expressing itself, full of love and righteousness and joy and peace in our marriage, in our families, and in our homes. We have to, empowered by the Spirit of God, live according to God's word in our marriages. We cannot expect to have the blessings of the kingdom of God, the results of the kingdom of God in our marriage if our marriage is not submitted to the word of God. Does that make sense? So, what does, God, what does this teach us about first God and then marriage? The first thing we need to understand to have a proper marriage is we need to know that God is the creator. Number one, God is the creator. So, so my life is, is from God. I am his creation. That governs everything about the way I live my life. It starts with God as the creator. We are not the creator, we are his creation. The second thing that we see is that we are created in God's image. What this means is that our created purpose is to show forth his glory in the earth. And that being created in the image of God, it means that I am a personal being just as God is a personal being. And so where the rest of creation does not have a spirit like I have, I can relate to God as a person. I was designed to have an intimate relationship with God and with others. Closeness, where love is expressed and the fruit of God's spirit is expressed and manifest. You see, no other creature under heaven can relate to God the way human beings can because no other creature is created in the image of God with personhood. 
with personhood. And what this means is that every human life has dignity, value, and worth bestowed upon you by your creator. Your value does not come from what you do. Your value does not come from how you perform in certain situations. Your value in God's eyes is because he has created you in his image and bestowed upon you and your life purpose and meaning to show forth his glory, to have a relationship with him, to know him in a personal and intimate way. Our view of marriage has to start with the fact that God has created us this way. Now, these first two points, that there is a creator God who's created everything and that he has created humanity in his image, these first two points are a total departure fundamentally from the prevailing ideas of our culture. These first two ideas, that there is a creator and we're created in his image, is a fundamental departure from the prevailing thought of this culture. And this manifests hugely in interpersonal relationships and in marriage. And so today's culture starts with the idea that there is no God. Today's culture that we live in, the world that we live in, it's taught every single day in schools and universities across this country that there is no God. That, that our world came into existence when nothing exploded. And over the course of billions of years, and everything that's bashing into each other, now we're here. We're, fly, we're, we're on a rock flying through space. We came from nowhere. We're, what we do matters nothing, and we're going nowhere. That, that is the world's best vision for you and for your life. There is no creator. You're not created in God's image. Therefore, life has no meaning. You have no value. You have no worth. Live any way you want to live. Live like an animal is basically how the world teaches us. The, our culture teaches us to give in to every fleshly urge that we have. That's how our culture teaches us to live. If it feels good, do it. <laughs> right? Uh, uh, <laughs> A couple of years ago, that was you know, rebranded as YOLO, right? You only live once. Not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, you're going to live forever somewhere else. That there is a life beyond this life. And what we do in this life matters. And it affects that other life that goes on forever and ever and ever. And so if, if I approach life with, if it feels good, do it. And YOLO, it's going to put me on a trajectory that will destroy my life now and in eternity. Where am I in my message? <laughs> These two ideas, there is a creator, and you're creating his image. It, it runs fundamentally different from, the, from our culture today. Fundamentally different. This affects everything about life. Life. 
Every decision that I make is affected by this. Every interaction that I have with another person is affected by this. Because I'm not just interacting with a highly evolved ape or a not highly, or, a, you know, a re, someone regressing to their primal instincts. No, I am, I am in, every interaction I have with another person is with someone created in the image of God. Is someone designed by God. Is someone that was knit together in their mother's womb with, with, with dignity and value and worth. And even if they are my enemy, Jesus tells me I have to love them. Even if they curse me out, flick me off on 410, throw eggs at my house, God's called me to love them. To love them. Because they're creating the image of God. The third thing I want you to see is that God created humanity, male and female. This was God's design, male and female, men and women. God created them, male and female. Jesus quotes this when asked about marriage. Gender, sexuality, they are God's idea. They are God's idea, and they are tied to our created purpose as image bearers of God. It says God created them in his image, male and female, he created them. And so God's design for human sexuality is that it be expressed solely, exclusively within covenant marriage between a man and a woman. This is God's design. And God has an order to his design. His order is that first there be a covenant and then there be sexual intimacy. We see this clearly in both Genesis and what Jesus says. Jesus says that the, the order is first, a man leave his father and mother. That is, I am separating myself from that family, and now I am starting a new family, making a covenant, holding fast to my wife, making a bond that goes beyond just us, but includes God in covenant marriage, leaving father and mother, holding fast to wife, and then, then the two become one flesh. This is speaking, of course, of sexual intimacy within marriage. God told them in Genesis 1, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Look, sex is God's idea. He invented it. He, he wanted Adam and Eve to be having it so often that they fill the whole earth with people. That's a lot, okay? That is a lot. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. So this is God's idea, and God looks at it and says, this is very good. Now, of course, sin enters into the world, and everything spirals out of control to the point where everything in culture is so confused about this issue between men and women and sexuality, and the culture has tried to redefine marriage, and the culture can do what it wants to do, but we, as God's people, are primi primarily submitted to God as king. Amen. Amen. And so like the apostles in the book of Acts, 
when the, the leaders of their culture told them, you have to stop preaching in the name of Jesus, they said, you know what? That's what you've told us to do, but we're not gonna live to please men, we're gonna live to please God. And what you, whatever you have to do to us, you can go ahead and do to us, but we're not going to submit the truth that God has given us to the culture of this world. Now, there are many wonderful things about culture that aren't evil, that we celebrate. But when culture and the kingdom of God clash, we as God's people must side with the kingdom. So there's wonderful things that I celebrate about our culture. Uh, in Texas, you know, uh, we've got Whataburger. Can I get an amen? How many of you were sad to hear this week that Whataburger was sold out to some company in Chicago? I'm like, oh my goodness, I hope that they don't ruin Whataburger. That's what makes being a Texan great, you know? And then being in San Antonio, we have Mexican food. I just celebrate the, the culture and heritage that we have in San Antonio with a Mexican food restaurant on every corner. You know, it's just, it's beautiful. I kid you not, in, on my, in my neighborhood, there's been three restaurants that have closed down in the two years that I've lived there, and all three of them have been replaced with a Mexican food restaurant. I came home, the, like a Schlotzky's closed down, and like five minutes later, um, uh, there's a Mexican food restaurant, uh, uh, you know, Guadalupe del Jalisco there, and I, I was just like, I, I was laughing, like, that's what we need in San Antonio, is more bean and cheese. But I celebrate it, I love it. But where my culture clashes with the kingdom of God, I have to side with the kingdom of God. And if it's said in God's word, no bean and cheese tacos, then that would be it. But thankfully, it says, whatever you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. And so, as I partake of my bean and cheese, I do it as an image bearer of God to his glory. God's divine order is that there first be covenant before there's sexual intimacy. Now, our world has that totally backwards, 100% backwards. They say, well, just, no, no, you got to sleep around and, and figure out, you know, what works for you and, and what you like. Do you like redheads or brunettes or blondes? Or are you into large things here or large things there? And how does it all fit together and jiggle together? you got to figure it all out. And, you know, figure, you know, have, try, you know, like it's a buffet. Listen. Women, you are not a buffet. Hello? You're not a stinking golden corral. You're an image bearer of God. I cannot tell you how many times I've, I've sat with people who've said, wait, I don't have sex till marriage? How... How am I supposed to know if we're sexually compatible? To which I say, listen, if you do it God's way, how do you know if you are or you aren't? Like, if you only ever have sex with your wife and she's only ever had sex with you, what difference does it make? She's my standard. She's my baseline. That's God's design. I, and I can tell you, amen, clap for that. 
that's God's way. For for me and my wife, we were both, by the grace of God, let me underscore, by the grace of God, we were virgins when we got married. And we waited until we were married for sexual intimacy. And so I look at people and I say, how do I know that I'm, how do I not know if we, I mean, it could be on a scale of one to 10, it could be a one, it could be a zero, I have no idea. But she's my wife. And we are fulfilled in each other. And the Bible talks about that in the book, uh, the book of Song of Solomon. How that I am supposed to be satisfied with my wife. And not go, have wandering eyes for everyone else comparing her to everybody else. But the world's way is no, just treat yourself like, like you're an inanimate object. Treat yourself like an animal. The thing is you're not an animal. You have a spirit and you have a soul. And when you have intimacy with someone sexually, it doesn't only affect your body. It is a spiritual and soul level union. And you carry that from one relationship into the next, into the next. You are not primarily a sexual being. You are primarily a spiritual being. And so the, Lord, the, the world will look at that and they say, that seems limited. No, it's so freeing. It's so freeing to, to do it God's way and to not have to carry all of this baggage into my marriage. I thank God for that. Now, for those of you who you didn't know and you just did it the world's way, let me tell you, there is redemption and restoration for you. Let me tell you, there is. We, we serve a God who, who is the redeemer, who is the restorer, and that if you will submit your marriage to God and, and to do it his way, you will find freedom and you will find restoration and you will find this righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let me just also say, since I'm offending everybody here today, There are more important things in life than simple sexual gratification. (laughs) Like there are so many more important things in life than sexual gratification. But our world says that is the highest priority. That is the highest value. And it's like, no, that's actually like one of the lowest. Actually, the truth is, What I want in my marriage more than anything is for there to be genuine love there. Genuine commitment there. A a love that when I am at my worst, I know that she is still on my side. A love that when she is at her worst, she knows that I'm not going nowhere. That, that, That transcends momentary pleasure in the bedroom, which is momentary. I mean, the world is so upside down. It says that we should focus on the part of marriage that only lasts a few moments. I mean, even if you're really good, it can only, you can't fill that much space with it. It says to ignore everything else. 
Ignore the other 24 hours in the day. Ignore the rest of everything else and only focus on that one part. But the thing is, if you only focus on the one part, you know what else? The whole rest of it's just going to go to hell. It's just going to be a disaster if your whole marriage is built on those few moments of gratification. Because if, if you can't get the rest right, there's ain't no way she's getting into bed with you. You do not want to try to make love to an angry wife. So the world, it's just upside down. It's just backwards. It's just falling and failing. And that's my introduction. You know, brother, uh, yeah. Brother... Brother David Cook, who taught me at Bible school, uh, he had this saying that his messages were like sausage links. You could just cut them off anywhere and they're still pretty good. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna attempt to do that today and to pick, pick this up right where we're at uh, next week and press in a little bit further but just to give you a tease uh, of that. God created men and women. He created them in his image. His design was to bring them together in marriage, exclusive relationship with one another, in covenant with him. And that the two would become one flesh. But God, in creating men and women, he created them equal Men and women equal bearers of God's image. That means equal dignity. It means equal value. It means equal worth. And so next week, we're going to dive into what that equality of personhood, that equality of um, image bearers of God, how that plays out in marriage and how it's just falling apart in our culture. But God, in creating us equal, he also created us different. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that there's some differences between men and women? It's insane that I have to say this, but we live in a culture that, that, is, that doesn't believe this anymore. We live in a culture that says there is no difference between men and women at all. And in fact, you can become, you can be a man if you're a woman. All you have to do is just declare yourself to be a man. And you can be a woman if you're a man. All you have to do is declare yourself to be a woman. And this is not God's design. God who created humanity in his image created them equal. He also created them different. And the differences are meant to complement each other. And that the two become one, and it is a beautiful thing when it comes together and it works together. Men and women are, are so different. And, and what the world is trying to do is to drive a wedge between men and women and drive a wedge between husband and wife and make men and women at war with one another. We see that playing out in the culture all the time. 
God's design for humanity was not that men and women be at war with one another, but in fact that they would work together in unity and in harmony and that it would be a wonderful and beautiful thing. But what we see is the, the work of the enemy in our culture that is, is driving men and women apart and, and causing them to be at war with one another over who is most valuable. When in, the Bible says in God's eyes, it's a moot point. We're both created in his image with equal dignity, value, and worth. And so men and women are not designed to be at war with one another, husband and wife not to be at war with one another. But when we understand who we are as image bearers of God, in proper relationship to our creator, we can live out the purposes that God has called us to live out as men and as women. And so what we're gonna get into next week is that as though we are equal, God created us different. And those differences play into how we relate to one another in marriage and the roles that we are to play as husbands and the roles we're to play as wives to have a marriage grow and to flourish and to prosper and to see God's kingdom at work with righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. So I'm gonna ask all the dads to stand this morning. I hope you come back next week. I hope you're not so mad at me that you, you never come back. Um, I think it's gonna be really good. I think it's gonna be eye-opening and I think it will be a blessing to you. I wanna pray for the dads this morning. The Bible teaches us that the husband, we'll get into this next week, is the head of his household. What the head means, that means that you're responsible. It means you're responsible. That means when God sees you and he sees your family and he sees your children, that there's been an, an added burden placed on your shoulders to be the leader, the protector of your children and of your home. God created you in such a way to bear that burden. God created you with a certain makeup, a certain psychology, a certain fortitude, a certain way of thinking to be able to accomplish the purpose God has called you to as a father. And sometimes as a father, we have to do things and, and speak things that are not popular. Have you found that out? We have to make decisions that if everybody could get together and vote in the family, they would vote us out. We've been called to lead our family into God's ways of righteousness. And let me tell you, you are up to the task. You are up to the task. God is equipping you. He's called you. He's given you every tool that you need to lead your family. And if you will step out in faith, full of the Spirit of God, with his word as your guide, I believe that you will see the kingdom of God in effect in your family's life and in your children's life. As you humble yourself under God's word, 
and his reign, you will see the blessings of the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? I believe that for each man who's here today. And so I want to honor you men who are here today. I want to honor the fathers in this house who came to church on Father's Day. You, You might not know this, but Father's Day is typically one of the worst attended Sundays in the American church calendar. Mother's Day, on the other hand, is one of the best attended. Because when children go to their mothers and say, Mom, what do you want for Mother's Day? She says, oh, mijo, just come to church with me. Just, if, you'll just, if you'll just come to church with me, I, that's all I want. And when those same kids go to the dads and say, what do you want on Father's Day? Let's go fishing. Let's go hunting. Let's go on. Let's sleep in. I just want to relax on Father's Day. And you men got here today, many of you with your families, so I honor you for that. I honor you for being here today. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are our Father. Lord, though all of us are imperfect and all of us fall and fail as fathers, you are always perfect and you will never fail us. So Lord, help us. Lord, as we endeavor to be men of your word, to be men of righteousness, to be men who set a godly example for our children, of what a father's love is, help us. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the helper, that God, you are an ever-present time in in our time of need. You're an ever-present help in our time of need. So Lord, remind us to seek you in prayer when we're struggling. Lord, that we would not be so proud that we wouldn't even ask you for help. Lord, let us come to you in prayer and to seek your face on behalf of our wives and on behalf of our children, knowing that ultimately you are the Father above all. Lord, thank you for the fathers who are here today and the wonderful example that they are to their wives and to their children. I pray that you would bless them with supernatural wisdom in the times that we live, in the culture that we are raising our children in today. Lord, for the single dads who are here today, Lord, just a double portion of your spirit and blessing upon them as they endeavor to lead their families uh, in the ways of righteousness. And Lord, I pray for just a supernatural strength and grit and, and and an unwavering determination to rise up within the men of destiny and that they will boldly declare, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I thank you for doing it and for what you're doing in all of the families of Destiny Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the dads one more hand.